for those who are not into AFL footy, it's gather round. Uh, and yes, okay, yeah, footy, right. So my daughter, who knows absolutely nothing about the footy, has been going to the footy and gather round because that's what you do. Um, apparently she doesn't even know the names of the teams, so she just screams out, go footy, from the sidelines. <laughs> Which is a little bit awkward. <laughs> Her boyfriend tells me it's a little bit embarrassing, but he likes that she's at the footy and she's kind of enjoying herself. Anyway, um, so again, for those who don't know, it means that uh, all of AFL across the nation has come to Adelaide for one weekend. All nine games, which are usually dotted in cities literally across the country, are all happening in Adelaide at once. And, uh, and if you haven't heard the news, they're all sold out. Uh, all nine games totally, totally sold out, which is, which is kind of weird in the sense that there are people going to games for teams they don't even support. You know what I mean? There are, there are teams playing that, that are not Adelaide-based teams and still they're sold out, people are going. And it makes you ask, why would people do that? Why, why would you go to a game of footy, pay to go to a game of footy that has two teams in it that you don't even support those teams? But we know the answer why. It's the same reason that people go and pay money to go to a music concert and hear someone sing the same songs that they can listen to on Spotify for free. <laughs> it's the reason that people pay and get in their cars to go to the movies when they could turn on the TV and watch a movie, sometimes the same movie, on Netflix for a fraction of the price. It's the reason that young people spend an entire weekend, an entire four days at Easter camp. It's the atmosphere. It's the crowd. It's the people. You can watch sport on TV. You can listen to music on Spotify. You can watch a movie on Netflix. But there's something about doing it together with other people, isn't there? There's something powerful that happens when you experience something like that in community. And I mean, we all, you're all nodding along. We all know what this is like, isn't it? There are things in your life, might not be footy, there are things in your life that you like doing. But when you do that thing together with other people, it's a whole, it's a whole other level of experience, isn't it? Something you like becomes something that you really love. It becomes, it becomes a memory forever because you've done it with a whole group of other people. And whether it's sport or whether it's music, uh, whether it's something like an Easter camp. I mean, even shopping, right? You know, you can go and buy something on your own, but when a couple of friends ring you up and say, hey, do you want to go shopping together? All of a sudden, it's a whole nother... It's the same shops, right? It's the same stuff you're buying, but when you're doing it together with other people, it's a whole new level of experience. The Christian church is supposed to be that kind of energised community experience. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that's why lots of churches, if you go into a church, all kinds of churches, well, if you go into a church, lots of churches have like tea and coffee somewhere around their service. It's, it's why lots of churches have programs or, get, or get-togethers or something, you know, for youth or for older people or for single people. It's why lots of churches encourage you to try and be nice to someone new who walks in the door or someone you don't know. But why do we really do these things? 
What does it really mean to be a Christian community? We talk a lot about what it means to be a Christian, but what does it mean to be in Christian community? I mean, is it really just tea and coffee and chats and singles groups, or is there something deeper? We're going to jump into these questions, explore what it means to be a Christian community today. And the best place to start is, well, right at the beginning, like the actual beginning. Um, Genesis 1, chapter 1. Don't worry, we're not going to do the whole Bible, but a fair bit of it. Um, Genesis 1, chapter 1. Anyone know how Genesis 1, chapter 1, the whole story of the Bible begins? The first words are? In the beginning. There you go. Well done. Uh, Lots of people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Some versions of your Bibles might say formless and desolate or wild and waste. Um, The Bible begins with this picture of a formless, desolate, empty world, a blank canvas, if you like. And into that nothingness, into that emptiness, into that wilderness, into that chaos, God speaks. The Bible begins with a creative God standing before a blank canvas creating. God is crafting and forming his perfect world. And he creates light and he creates the land and the sea and he creates plants and animals and woodworking machinery and all of these fantastic things that God creates. It's in my Bible anyway. God begins by creating the world just the way that he wants it to be. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are this this picture of a perfect world, picture of the world that God creates it to be. And if you know the story at all, you'll know that at every point in the story, God keeps stepping back, looking what he's created. And can you remember what he says about all the things that he's created? He said, it is good. God creates plants and animals. He steps back. He says, it's good. God creates light from darkness. He steps back and he says, it is good. And then the the peak of God's creation, the grand finale, if you like, of his creative act is when he creates us. When he creates people. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image. Have you ever noticed that God speaks about himself In the plural, let us make man in our image. And most people understand that to be God, to be the fullness of God, talking about sort of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's an image that shows us that God exists in community. One in three, three in one, this this perfect relationship of God together. God is an us. The story gets even more interesting though because when God steps back to look at the man, the solitary man that he's created, do you know what he says? God says it's not, it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. And if you're a bit of a Bible trivia nerd, you might know it's, that's the first thing in the Bible that God says he doesn't like. 
Up till then, everything is good. It's good, it's good, it's good. And when God sees one man alone, he says, that's not good. And that's actually really significant because God says that in Genesis chapter 2, which is before the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Right? So, so before man and God get separated by sin, in Genesis chapter 2, when, when man and God still exist in perfect relationship together, there's no sin barrier, there's no separation between man and God. Even in that moment, God sees man and says, it's not good for man to be alone. Christian writer John Aldberg says about that verse, uh, that there exists within each of us a human-shaped void. A need created in us by God that not even God himself can fulfill. That we are created to need relationships with other people. The God God has created us that way to need other people. And when he sees one man alone, he says, that's not good. I mean, it's why in prison, isn't it? You know, have you ever watched those prison films? What, what, what do they do in prison films when someone's really bad inside a prison? What do they do? They put them in solitary confinement. Because we know even, even in, a, even in a, a dark place like a prison, what's the worst thing that you can do to a person? Completely isolate them. To take someone away from relationships is like, is like the worst of the worst. When you're in prison, you think, what can we do to a person? They're already in prison. We can separate them. We can isolate them from relationships. Let's jump ahead a few years to the event that changed history forever, the birth of Jesus. God decides with a wisdom that we can never really understand to come to earth himself. To literally sort of put on flesh and to come to earth as a person in the shape of Jesus. Which you should think, well, this will be really interesting. Because when God comes to earth, when when God the creator comes to earth in the form of a person, what's he going to come like? What sort of life is he going to live? When God shows up as a person, what sort of life is God going to live and going to model and going to example for us? If you jump into the Gospel of Mark, Mark is like the, uh, the no-frills story of Jesus. It's the shortest of the Gospels and Mark just like gets straight to it. The, there's no birth story. There's none of that. Just John just like jumps right into it. He begins in the first couple of verses. He introduces John the Baptist, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, verse 7. And this was his message, John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. It's Mark's kind of cut to the chase right in the first few verses way of saying, get ready. Get ready. Jesus is coming. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus comes and he announces his arrival with these words. Jesus stands up according to Mark and says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's Mark's way of saying, This is Jesus and this is what he's here for. 
And then according to the way Mark tells the story, the very next verse in the story, Mark begins to gather together his small group. He begins to call the disciples. When it's like Jesus' first priority on earth, he says, this is who I am, this is why I'm here. Right, now I'm getting a group together. Do you ever think about why Jesus did that? I mean, did Jesus need the disciples? The answer is no. People shake their heads. No, he didn't need the disciples. In fact, when you read the rest of the Gospels, the disciples are more often a hindrance than a help, aren't they? How often do you read a story in the Bible and you go, these guys, man, you know? Jesus didn't call the disciples because he needed them. He called the disciples because he wanted them. When God came to earth in the person of Jesus, he wanted to live in community. Because God is community. Because God knows through Jesus the power of people living together in community. And so it's like he says, well, when I'm coming to earth, I'm doing it in community. We're created for relationships. We're created for community. And Jesus models the kind of community that God wants, that God's created for his people. Now, we we don't read a lot in the gospel uh, narratives, the gospel stories. We don't read a lot about exactly what happened inside that group. But we do read a lot about what happened inside the first church. That after Jesus left and that group, that 12 and the other people around them, when when they began the church, they began it with sort of in their minds what, what Jesus had been doing with them in their group. And so when they gathered other people into other groups, into the first church, listen to the way the first church lived. This is Acts chapter 2, beginning reading verse 42. They, talking about the people in the first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Can you hear there the marks, the, 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 the sort of images of what this Christian community was like? They met together. They ate together. They had communion together. They worshipped together. They learnt about God together. They shared things together. The first church wasn't an organisation. They didn't have an ABN. They didn't have a building The first church wasn't a place that you went. There's no evidence that the church put on cool events. There were no lights and smoke machines in worship. They didn't have any of the things that we might point to and say, well, that would make for an awesome church today. That first church had the story of the resurrection. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and they had each other and that was it. 
But there was something different about that community. There was something different about those people. There was something different about that Christian community. There was something so powerful going on within that community that people outside that community were looking in and saying, I want to know more. So let's jump ahead in our story another couple of thousand years and ask ourselves, well, what does that story mean for us today? Because it seems to me, it seems to me like many people treat church today a bit like they treat the supermarket. You know, you find a local supermarket that you like, you like the layout of it, you like the prices, you like the range of the stuff, and that's your supermarket. And you go there anytime you need something. There are lots of other people who go there too, but you're not really interacting with any of them. You're just all doing your shopping in the same place at the same time. You don't give anything to the supermarket. You're not contributing anything to the supermarket. The supermarket is there to serve you, aren't they? It's the supermarket's job to make sure that you've got everything you need when you're at the supermarket. It's the supermarket's job to create an environment that you want to be at. And if you don't need anything from the supermarket, you don't go. If you're all good for that week, if you're all stocked up for that week, then you don't go to the supermarket. And if you'd planned to go to the supermarket, but then a friend rings up and invites you for, to something that sounds better than going to the supermarket, what do you do? You go with your friend, don't you? You don't ever say, well, I'd like to go, but I'm planning to go to the supermarket. <laughs> and of course, if the supermarket changes something, if, 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 if the range of the things that you like to buy at the supermarket changes or the prices change or the vibe in the supermarket changes, you just stop going. And you just choose another supermarket. Or maybe you don't go to the supermarket at all and you just get it delivered in at home and you can do your own thing that way. And many people seem to treat church just the same way. But as we say all the time in this place, church is not a place. Church is not a place that you just go to worship God and to get what you need from God. Church is always intended to be a community of people that you are connected together with. Because God is community. Because we're made in the image of God, we're made to need community. We're made to need those sort of intimate, deep real relationships with others. It's the kind of community that Jesus modelled for us and that he set in place when the first church began. And this this is not just about making friends when I come to church. Not like you join a tennis club to play tennis and along the way you might make some friends. I'm not talking, it's not that kind of community. The church is supposed to be a place where you connect with God and you connect with others at the same time. 
It's supposed to be a place where you learn together. You're learning from God and learning from others. It's supposed to be a place where you worship together, not just worship in the presence of other people. You know, conveniently, we happen to be singing the same song at the same time. You're actually worshiping together. Where you share together, where you support one another, where you, where you share your money and your stuff with other people and they share their money and their stuff with you. It's why in this church we gather at 10, but the music and stuff doesn't start till 10, 15, 20. It's not because we're disorganised and lazy, right? We might be disorganised and lazy, but that's not the reason we start. It's because we're intentionally creating space for people to connect. It's why when we have communion, I'm always encouraging you in, in, in communion to, to, to pray or to share communion with someone else. You don't have to do that, but, but communion was never intended to be something where, where you take the bread and the wine and you sit down all on your own and you have a little moment with Jesus. In the early church, it was done in community. It's why we have our small group kind of time in this church right here in, on a Sunday morning. Because we want to create space where people can reflect on the message and can learn not just from what I'm saying, but can start to process it and learn from one another. But I want to be as honest as I can and say, all we can do is create the space. This church will only become that kind of biblical community if you make it one. Not the person sitting next to you, you. The church will only become a, a sort of a biblical functioning community if each of us will take a step, will take a risk, let's be honest, will take action to live out that kind of Acts 2 church in this place, in this generation. We'll only become that kind of church if each of us make a decision to connect with others. And I'm not talking about talking to your friends or the people you know, but actually connecting with others. Introducing yourself to someone you know and really connecting, not just sort of talking about, you know, we joked about the footy, not just talking about the, the footy and what happened in the week, asking real questions of one another and listening for real answers. If we become a church, a group of people that will, uh, here's the scary part, that will share your money and your stuff with other people. Not just with your best friend who comes here. There was something so powerful happening in that early church because they were sharing their resources. That people around them in the community, how many people, and you don't have to put up your hand, but how many people just wish your friends would say to you, I hear you're a Christian, could you tell me more about that? But it doesn't happen very much. It happened in the early church. Do you know why? Because they were living this crazy kind of connected one another life that made people say, there's something really different about you. What is that? And because I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning. This isn't just a, like what happens in this building on a Sunday morning. Uh, as an aside, uh, food night this Thursday at our house. Everyone's invited. Um, uh, come along. Like, it's just uh, it's one little thing we do. Uh, it's our like little personal 
kind of effort to create this kind of community. So everyone's invited Thursday night, my house, 6.30. Okay, if you don't know the address, come and see me afterwards. But I mean, awkward question time. How often do you share a meal with someone else that you've met through this community? Awkward question time. How often do you send a message to someone during the week just to encourage them or to ask them maybe a follow-up question on something they mentioned to you on a Sunday morning? Awkward question time. How, do you meet, how often do you meet a practical need for someone else in your Christian community? Not your friend who's here, but someone else because you've got some money or some stuff that could just meet the need that they have right now. They're the signs of real Christian community. They always have been. We're not, this isn't, we're not inventing this stuff, right? And of course, none of this happens if you don't show up and show up regularly. You know, if, if, if you just come to church when you feel like it and when you're free, church will never be more to you than that supermarket kind of experience. And if you come to church with that sort of when I need it supermarket mindset, you will only ever see other people in the church the way you see other people in the supermarket. Just as random shoppers who happen to be in the same aisle as you at the same time. And you smile and you kind of nod, and then you go on your way. Some people say this kind of church isn't possible. Some people say this picture of a church, is it, it just happened way back then in the Bible. But we can't really be that kind of church today. It just, it just doesn't work. We're all too busy. You know, our culture is too, too selfish. People would never give away their money and their stuff to people they don't know. It's too awkward to talk to people you don't know. It's just not practical to live that way. But what if it is possible? A small group of us, very small group of us, started this church because we had a dream that this might be possible. And to be really frank, that, that we were just tired of supermarket church and we thought maybe there's a way to do something different maybe it is possible we started this because we believe things can be different we believe there's still real power in this kind of christian community i mean easter camp reminds us of that doesn't it i mean how often do you hear people say oh young people are all so selfish young people you know all this we're just here today, these young people, just this powerful experience inside Christian community. We believe that God can still do miracles when people will show up to authentically connect with him and to authentically connect with one another. We believe that's possible. But we can't do it alone. It will take all of us to be part of creating this kind of community if we even think it's possible. Biblical community isn't going to happen because I say something. Biblical community is going to happen because you do something and 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 because 
I do something. So do you want to have a go? Do you want to come on a journey and see what could be possible? Do you want to take a risk? Make a commitment to God and to one another to show up, to really show up, to take off the masks that we hide behind? To open your heart? To open your wallet? To change the way your calendar looks? And to see what God can do through you. Because I'm going to tell you, we are determined to have a go and to see what will happen. We're going to have a go and see if we can create, if we can live out the kind of Christian biblical community that we read about in the church 2,000 years ago, that we read about thousands of years before that, when God created the world. When he looked at people created in his image, created in the image of community, and, and, and when he looked at people alone and said, that's not good. We want to be part of changing that reality. I mean, who knows? Like We live in a world that is just wrecked by loneliness, isn't it? We've got more ways to connect with people than ever before. And yet people seem to be lonelier than ever before. So we're going to have a go at changing that as a church. And it begins with the way we live out Christian biblical community in here. And today is a way of pitching that and saying, we'd love you to be on that journey with us. Let me pray.